This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Kim Grinnells of Dogman.com with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund, and it has been a while since we've done a podcast and lots of technical difficulties this morning, but I think we've got it halfway figured out with a little bit of spit, a little bit of bailing wire, and uh, looking over at the liquor cabinet, almost went over there after these, this fiasco, but it is uh, a little bit starting to get busy. We can feel it in the air. Football's about to start, but a lot of updates on football, basketball, and recruiting. And let's go ahead and start off, guys. Three deletions from the roster. I don't think any of them were really surprising. Maybe Jordan Lolo hey, a, a little bit surprising. But, Chris, we've been doing this a long time, and it just it, – has there been a time where Washington has taken a guy who's gone on a mission – and come back and making an impact. I'm trying to think of one. Uh, yeah, it would be difficult to go back and look. I mean, you, I remember, you know, I remember offensive linemen have come back a hundred pounds lighter than they were. Um, you know, guys just, you know, I give full respect for wanting to go serve their mission. And, and that's obviously a huge part of their faith and what they believe in. But, it's it just seems that all the empirical evidence suggests that, that football and um, serving missions just really don't necessarily work in the end result. If, in fact, the plan is to try to be like an NFL player, for instance, if you want to be that guy, um, if you just want to you know earn your degree, play football, you know, have it paid for that kind of thing. Well, then it's a little probably a little different argument. But, yeah, generally speaking, it's been very difficult for guys to go and serve mission. Now, if they serve mission and then do it like the way Jordan Lolohea did it, you would have thought that had given him the best opportunity to be successful. But even in that particular example, it doesn't necessarily seem like it's worked out for him. And and Scott, you know, he, Jordan Lolohea, he flashed a few times, but he really didn't do anything to jump out at us during the season, a few plays here and there. But then again, in spring ball, didn't see much out of him. Well, yeah, I, I think he just didn't feel like he fit into the, where the rotation was with it, what Eric Schmidt was looking for. And uh, he wasn't a dynamic guy off the edge getting pressure. Um, I think he probably would have been better suited bulking up and moving inside and maybe playing as a three tech. But, you know, he just, you know, just didn't seem to fit into what Washington was going to do at the edge. And uh, he was a guy that we had a story written for because we had heard he was going to transfer, but he didn't. Um, and so, you know, we'll, we'll just kind of see, you know, he didn't transfer, like go into the transfer portal, but he has decided to leave the program and, and, uh, we'll see if he ends up at Utah, BYU, Utah state, a school that's closer to home and maybe caters a little bit more to LDS guys, not saying that UW doesn't, but, uh, it just seems like those schools end up with a lot more LDS guys, partly just because of where they're at. 
Draco Bynum was a guy that, you know, when I initially saw him in person, I thought that uh, he could turn into something, but um, he just never seemed to really develop. I don't know if there was other interests that were more important to him, like school, but he seemed like he enjoyed being part of the team, but he never really did much. He's one of those guys that didn't develop. I don't think it was injury wise either. Um, Tell us a little bit about Draco Bynum, Chris. Well, yeah, I think a lot of people forget that he was actually a U.S. Army All-American. At the time, he was considered a pretty big coup. But also at the time, I think people understood that physically, in terms of his development, he was a bit of a tweener. You know, he wasn't quite big enough to be a full-on defensive lineman, but was he going to be an outside linebacker? Could they play him on the edge? You know, there was, you know, he, there was even thought during his time at Washington that maybe he would even move to tight end because he's a pretty athletic guy. Um, ultimately, it just never really worked out. And like you said, Kim, I think the biggest thing that really hampered Draco Bynum was that he just never seemed to take that next step, whether it was in his physical development, whether it was his play on the field in terms of ramping up, you know, what he needed to do. And and maybe part of that was the fact that he never really ended up getting settled at one particular position and really made one particular position his own. I think that was probably ultimately his biggest his biggest downfall. And the other guy that uh, was um, not listed on the roster omission on there is one that didn't surprise us at all. And that's a Mecca uh, Megwa. And what was it about four or five months ago? He put a picture out on Instagram that made us all just go, what the hell? Because he looked like a Greek God, but looks like the injury butt caught up with him, Scott. Yeah, I mean, he was injured in high school. That's why he didn't participate his senior year. They held him out for the first month and. And he just said, I'm going to transfer to UW and, and recertif- uh, reclassify and, and um, end up at UW where I can do some work with the training staff and, and get the medical treatment that I need and uh, just get started on things. And, you know, th- I think if the old staff had remained, he might have stayed. But I think um, with this new staff, he just didn't feel like he was a part of it. And from what we've heard, he's been told that he's just not going to be able to he's just not going to be able to recover to the point where he's going to be successful in, in football. And so we had a story written that he was going to medically retire. That didn't happen. Um, I reached out to him. He told me that uh, he still has plans to play football somewhere, but does, you know, hasn't decided on a place. So um, at this point, you know, he's just kind of sitting out there and, and we'll see what happens, but uh, it's too bad because I think he's a talented kid and he actually could have fit in, to the program here because he was a really good receiver in high school um, at his, at the first school that he was at. And then he made a transfer at Timber Creek, but um, you know, he's a guy that I think uh, the coaches were intrigued by, but when, when he can't even get on the field, can't even do workouts. I I just think they, they said to him, yeah, you're probably going to get passed over. You might want to look somewhere else. Real interesting, Chris, you know, I think at this time last year, we were pretty enamored with the running back room thinking how deep it was, but Boy, it just seems like the running backs that they had on the roster don't really fit on what the staff is looking for. And, you know, we talk about this all the time, and I know it makes people a little bit crazy, but sometimes talent isn't enough. Fit is huge. And it's not only the running back room, but a lot of other positions, too, where they're looking for a specific type of guy. And uh, fit seems to be an issue right now, not only at running back. Well, running back is certainly, you know, it's kind of, the eye of the beholder, I think, because, you know, Keith Bonifa has done a nice job in the past of kind of fitting the running backs to the system 
that was in place first with Chris Peterson's offense and then trying to find the bigger downhill guys and the power guys to fit with what John Donovan uh, wanted to do. And that's why Mecca Megua was a really highly coveted guy. That's why Caleb Berry was a really highly coveted guy. I think Sam Adams also fit that mold a little bit because he's a little bigger guy, a guy that could probably uh, run a little bit more downhill. The, The irony of this whole thing, Kim, was that when everyone looked at the kind of the the embarrassment of riches at running back a couple of years ago, everyone thought that maybe Sam Adams might be the odd man out. He might end up moving to defense because a lot of people, I think myself even included, thought maybe safety was his future because he was he's such a good defensive player. And he and he showed it when he was at Eastside Catholic that he had that potential. But now it looks kind of, you know, it's now it's it's the the thing is wholly changed because you lose Caleb Berry, you lose Emeka Megwa. But now you've brought in guys like Wayne Tellapapa from Virginia transfer. You've got Aaron Dumas, who played all spring at Washington from New Mexico. And then you've brought in kind of a hybrid guy who I think we're assuming is kind of a fly slot, you know, whatever. And in, in Will Nixon, who they've said is kind of a hybrid receiver running back type guy from Nebraska. So the, the, the roster's really been remade quite a bit and, and maybe there's been no no more upheaval than at the running back position where obviously what they were looking for last year in terms of fit just doesn't fit at all with what Caleb DeBoer and what Ryan Grubb want to do. Chris, are you a little bit confused on what they want out of a running back? I am. Um, no, I mean, if you look at what they were doing at Fresno and you look at a guy like Ronnie Rivers, I think you're starting to see a move back more towards what they had in – Miles Gaskin, what they had in uh, Savon Ahmed, you know, and 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 what have you, and and a guy like Cam Davis, I think fits a mold of what a, a guy that they might look at. Um, now Richard Newton, probably a little bit more of a power guy initially, you know, we'll see where he fits in. But I think the guys that they're looking for, I mean, Wayne Telepapa, for instance, he's more of a power guy, a third down guy. He's more to me, like I said, he. I've always thought that he fit more of what like Habibi Likio was at Oregon, for instance. Um, you know, but he's also going to bring that, that veteran presence because all of a sudden, you know, you, you have, you have, uh, you know, Newton there and you have Cam Davis there who have, has a little bit of experience, but overall it's a pretty thin group and it's a pretty inexperienced group at this point. And so I think that's why they wanted to bring in a guy like Talapapa, because if, if Dumas ends up being your number one guy, which at least coming out of spring, it certainly feels like it because we didn't see it, anything of Newton or Davis, that uh, they need a little bit more veteran presence to kind of round out that particular group. Hey, Scott, we'll get into recruiting here in a little bit, but when you take a look at this running back group and you see that um, Washington, you know, really liked Tybo Rogers, but they didn't seem to go after, you know, um, Jaden Lamar, is it Lemar? Jaden Lemar, very hard is that's something where you maybe see that they just like that body style and the type of runner that uh, Rogers is as opposed to a Lemar. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think there's any question about that. Jaden Lemar is a good, good uh, high school tailback and obviously a, a guy that, that uh, you know, some of the top schools in the country wanted to go after and, and like, but you know, I just don't know if Washington liked much you know they recruited him I think a big reason they recruited him was because he was a local guy um and uh but he doesn't really fit the mold of what they're 
for. Now he can catch the ball out of the backfield. He's a pretty good runner in between the tackles. I just don't know if he's got that. I think they like to get that guy who's a little bit smaller, who's a little bit more of a jitterbug um, with the ball in his hands out in open space. And, and that just isn't Jaden Lemar if you watch him, if you watch him play. And again, we'll get into recruiting here in a little bit, but do you see them taking another running back? Yes, I expect them to take one more running back. Now, one of their top guys that they offered, uh, a guy by the name of Brandon Johnson, he just committed to Arizona on an official visit, but I think Washington still has a chance to continue to recruit him and and uh, maybe get an official visit out of him during the fall. Uh, they weren't on him to get a an official visit out of him and I think uh they want to kind of see how the running back room plays out this this uh fall I decide just to stick with one if if um Will Nixon can be a guy because Will Nixon I think still has three years left um two years after this year um you got Tybo Rogers coming in you got uh uh Richard Newton with another year or two of eligibility you've got a lot of guys in that room with still a year of eligibility Caleb uh, Barry just left, but you also have JB on Sunday with another year or a couple more years of eligibility. So I think a lot of it's really going to come down to, um, you know, how they feel about the room and, and how they're going to press on guys if they want if they want to get that second uh, tailback in the class. I think they will end up taking a second one if they like what they what they uh, can get. But um, they might be just fine sticking with one if they like what they have in the room. So I, I hate to be wishy-washy on that, but the I mean, really, it's, it's a to be determined at this point. And Chris, when they line up for the first game, are you anticipating one guy getting a majority of the carries or with these uh, two easier games to lead off? Are you expecting running back by committee? Um, I'm expecting one guy to get a lot of the carries. Because if you look at the way they used Ronnie Rivers, for instance, last year, Ryan Grubb did, you know, he was a guy that got a, the massive majority of the carries. Um, you know, I mean, he, you know, he was going to get, if I remember right, I think he got at least 100 attempts, you know, running the ball last year. And if you look, or at least halfway through the season, and if you look at the the next most carries for a running back, I think it was like Mims with 20 eight or 30, something like that. So it was, it was like three to one. It was at least three to one, if not more. Um, so it, it's, uh, you know, I think it's one of those things where they might use one of those other guys as a change up here and there. Or like I said, with a, like a Talo Papa, he might be a third down guy or a red zone short yardage guy. But generally speaking, I think that they've shown a tendency, at least if you base it on last year's performance, they like to lean on one guy. And a lot of people will think that, I mean, based upon what we saw in spring, it would be uh, Dumas would be that guy. But the other guys were just hurt so much. We really didn't see much of them. That's right. So it's it's again, it's to be determined. And and obviously they're not going to be exactly like they were in 2020 or 2021, you know, because it's just it, it, things evolve. They always evolve in, in terms of offense. They're always trying to find that little wrinkle that will give them a, a chance to to do more and, and to be a little bit more creative and to kind of keep the defenses a, a little bit more honest, and, you know, in terms of, you know, because they're going to be new to the Pac-12. So they're not, ex you know, they're going to have to go off film of what they've seen from the other defenses. And obviously those other teams are going to have to scout them and 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 try to you know figure out their tendencies as well. So they're always going to try to find those wrinkles. But when it comes down to it, I, I think that they're going to, you know, 
I think they're just going to try to rely on one guy. And I think that's going to be, you know, I, I think that's generally speaking how they want to operate, but you know, you just never know. And they, like you said, I mean, they've got enough guys where they could probably run a couple in, you know, here and there. But again, you know, when you look at the most successful Washington attacks, and again, we're, we're talking about different staffs and whatnot, but you go back to Bishop Sankey, you go back to, um, you know, uh, Miles Gaskin, you go back to Savon Ahmed. Those were the guys, you know, thousand year or thousand yard rushers. The, those are the guys that have always been the real hallmarks of some of the most successful Washington attacks. Scott, who do you think that number one guy is going to be at running back? Uh, I think it'll be either uh, Dumas or Talapapa. Those are those are the guys. I, I think Talapapa fits a really interesting role uh, in the Washington offense because he doesn't really fit what uh, Lee Marks and, and Kalen DeBoer and Ryan Grubb have wanted at the tailback position, but he's a big bruising guy. He can run between the tackles. He's going to be a great uh, red zone guy. I, I think he will probably lead the team in, in rushing touchdowns this year. I could see him getting 10 to 15 rushing touchdowns this year, um, but who gets the most carries in between the twenties and things like that. I, I think it's really going to be split between Dumas and uh, Nixon. I think they really like what Nixon brings uh, to the table because of his versatility and, and all the different things he can do. I think you're going to see um, uh, Giles uh, Jackson get, get a lot more carries than, than maybe we thought there was some times during spring ball that he took some carries out of the backfield. So you're going to see a lot of different, Guys get carries. Uh, Chris, I would agree with you that their preference is to find somebody who can carry a vast majority of the role. But I I just, uh, you know, of the load. But I just I just don't think they they really feel comfortable yet with the guys they have in the in the backfield to say this is our guy for our bell cow and and the guy who's going to carry the load for us. Neither one of you mentioned Richard uh, Dumas or um, Cam Davis. Richard, Richard Newton. Yeah. Yeah, and and the thing is, until we see how they come back, I mean, we didn't even see what they they could do in the offense yet. So, um, do I think that they could be those guys? Sure, but you know, until they they get healthy and things like that, I, I it's hard to imagine them being big time players in the in the in the room right now. And I and I agree 100 percent with Scott because at this point, I'm not really sold on just listening to what you know Ryan Grubb or Lee Marks are going to say about the running back position. I would much rather look at what they're doing. And obviously what they've done is they've, they've brought in three transfer running backs that will tell you all you need to know about how unsure they are about the position in terms of what the current guys, or at least the running backs that were on last year's team can provide them, whether it's because of injury, whether it's because they're bad fits in the offense, who knows, but all you can go by right now is you look at the three guys that are transferring in and I agree with Scott. I think those are the guys that they're going to try to lean on a little bit because clearly they're not either enamored or they're concerned that the current guys that, that's, that are on the team can give them what they need. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
we haven't had a really uh, really had a chance to talk about the return of Jackson Kirkland. He got his uh, exemption or whatever you want to call it. But even if he had gotten that earlier, it really wouldn't have mattered because he wouldn't have been able to participate in spring ball as he was in a boot, which is the reason that uh, he applied for the waiver to get back in because of the injury. But uh, how big is that, Scott, getting Jackson Kirkland back? Oh, I think it's absolutely huge. I, I think with his experience and his ability to play guard or tackle and and do different things. I, you know, Chris and I wrote about this in our uh, reviews, and I think we even talked about it on a podcast that the the offensive line lineup, the way it lined up at the end of spring, could look completely different when we get to fall camp uh, because Jackson Kirkland is probably your best and most experienced offensive lineman, and and you know, if you have you have two left-handed quarterbacks, could he end up at right tackle replacing Mateo Mele, who uh, started all of spring at right tackle? And could he replace him, send Mateo Mele as the first guy off the bench, keep Troy Fautanu at left tackle? Or uh, could he move inside and play some guard? And um, where things are still kind of up in the air with Henry Bainavalu, who was limited very much uh, during the spring. Um, Victor Kern, uh, played right guard for all of, all of spring ball. And I, I just, I think that we could see a completely different offensive line. It, getting him back is huge leadership, experience, talent. He's got it all. And I think that's a huge boost to Washington's offensive line. Chris, are you still convinced that, um, the center job is why am I spacing on his name? Corey Luciano. Yeah. Are you still convinced that Corey Luciano is going to be the starting center? Yes. I just get the feeling that no, no question in my mind. No yeah, question. He was, he, there was no one else that really took number one reps during spring. So yeah. unless they um, now granted what Scott just said in terms of there being a pretty big overhaul uh, along the offensive line this fall, I completely agree hundred percent, but I would put the caveat is that I think center might be the one place where it's not. I think they're pretty settled right now with Luciano and, and, and Garen Hatchett backing him up. Now, you know, depending on how physically a guy like Miles Morale comes back, because he's been banged up, um, that could play a factor. Mateo Mele, who Scott mentioned, he's been you know getting reps a little bit here and there. Could, you know, having Jackson Kirkland move to right tackle, could that alter where Mateo Mele finds his future? Could he end up competing for the center job? Possibly. But I still think, you know, if you ask me today, gun to my head, who's the starting center for the Kent State game, on September 3rd, it's Corey Luciano. Yeah, we'll see how that plays out. Like I said, I just got this gut feeling, and I could be r- totally wrong. I just got this uh, gut feeling that, you know, we could see Mateo Mele uh, move over there if he's not, um, you know, going to be starter at one of the tackle positions or even at one of the guard positions. But we'll see. Just kind of a gut feeling. Well, well and remember, Kim, I, I know you're probably basing a little bit of that because he's got some center experience in the past. But he he literally started one game, and that was at Arizona, and that was three years ago. Right. So we're not talking about a guy that is a ready-made center that is a guy that they could plug and play, no problem, could be the next guy up. He might end up having to be that guy, but I don't think that's necessarily what Scott Huff has in mind. Now, again, you're right, things could change, and I agree with Scott's initial premise that there could be some definite change-ups and depending on whether they're using a right-handed quarterback or a left-handed quarterback, that all certainly factors into the equation. But I do feel like 
they want to be as solidified at center as they can possibly be because that's the quarterback of the offensive line. And in this case, if you just went by what they did in spring, Corey Luciano's that guy, and there's really no debate. Yeah, what's really weird, Scott, is we've been doing this such a long time, and I can't remember coming out of spring ball with more unanswered questions than we have this year. Uh, quarterback, I think we know what's going on. Running back, offensive line. There's just so many question marks that uh, you know are going to be really need to be answered. And it's going to be interesting come fall ball. Are they going to limit what we see like they did in spring ball? Oh, I have a feeling. Yes, they are going to limit. I think I think spring ball is going to be a lot like what we saw in. in I'm sorry, fall camp is going to be a lot like what we saw in spring ball. I I think they're going to limit what we see. Um and because they want to have that element of surprise. If they're going to open things up, it'll be next spring um, after teams have already seen them and, and they, they feel a little bit more comfortable in their own skin and everything like that. But I, I just think that's probably what we're going to get the rest of the way when it comes to, to camps. And, and Kim, you know, what, what's ironic is I think that the position that had a lot of question marks last year heading into fall camp is the one that's probably the most solid and that's the wide receiver group yeah. you know you've got you've got Jalen McMillan Romo Dunsey you've got Jalen Polk you've got a lot of guys with experience you've got some younger guys who are going to come up and make some plays and do some things as well Giles Jackson I think has really kind of come into form and they're going to use him in a lot of different ways as I mentioned during the running backs uh you know conversation so yeah I I think the wide receiver group could be the group that could be kind of the breakout group. Part of it's because they played in a pedestrian offense under John Donovan the last couple of years. They've been handcuffed, and now things are going to be more wide open. And, and we saw it in in spring ball how they went down the field. They pushed the ball down the field. They got the wide receivers in different positions to make plays, and they made them. So uh, Jalen McMillan, Romo Dunsey, those are two exciting guys, and I think they could both have huge seasons. Jalen Polk is another one who I think could have a really big season this year. And Chris, when we take a look at, you know, it looks like Coach DeBoer likes to kind of play things close to the vest as he did in spring ball, not letting us see a lot. And we're anticipating kind of the same thing as, uh, you know, fall ball. You anticipate him doing the same thing, maybe in those first two games of the season and going into Michigan State and not opening up the playbook and kind of keeping stuff close to the vest? No, 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 no. I think we... <laughs> no, I think we saw in the Montana game last year that you can't really do that. <laughs> I think that's kind of a non-starter. Um, you, you play you play to win the game. It doesn't matter what you do. And the bottom line is they're going to keep scouting anyways. And, and, and then once the game's played, I think the actual scouting reports and all that stuff, I mean, that might be good for one or two series. But after that, it's just guys playing football. Um, you know, so I don't, yeah, I don't expect that that's going to be an issue at all. Um, especially when they want to get off on the right foot. I mean, they want they want to come out and they want to show just how different they were from Jimmy Lake and John Donovan. You know, they want to show that the, this offense is dynamic and is going to put yards on the field and put points on the board. And this defense is not going to have any sort of letdown uh, in the back end. You know, despite you know losing a couple really talented cornerbacks. And, um, you know, so they've got all sorts of motivation and incentive to come out firing in those first two games instead of trying to play coy. Um, you know, because like I said, you know, that Washington loses to Montana and then all of a sudden they got to go to Michigan. Well, was the plan for Jimmy Lake to hide all of his all of his, you know, firepower 
for the Michigan game, because if that was the case, that that certainly didn't work out at all. In fact, it backfired. Everything backfired under Jimmy Lake. <laughs> but anyways. Well, uh, yeah, but I mean, yeah, that but that's the point. The point is they don't you can't you can't afford to have a plan like that. Um, you know, because the other team is coming to win. Guarantee you Kent State's not coming to just be a patsy. They're gonna come to win the game like Montana came to Seattle to win the game. So you've got to treat them with a lot of respect. And you've and the way that you treat them with a lot of respect is that you play them straight up and then you punk them. You you beat the crap out of them. That's what you got to do. A lot of stuff going on in recruiting. We'll get to that shortly, but I uh, just want to also uh, take a few minutes and talk about a little bit about basketball. Talk to, you know, some of my sources over the last few days and expecting uh, the new uh, uh, transfer commit, uh, Keon Brooks, expecting him in town today. And then uh, the rest of the uh, class over the weekend with Keon Menefield, uh, Tyler Lindhart, and uh, Corin Johnson, as well as Braxton Mia. But, uh, you know, haven't had a chance to talk to you guys about uh, Keon Brooks. And it's a huge get, you know, and that's uh, a Will Conroy deal. It sounds like 100 percent when I talked to Keon, he said he didn't really deal much with Coach Hopkins, that Coach Hopkins just kind of took over his parents and 100 percent on Will Conroy getting him here. So uh, big get, um, you know, when you take a look, they lost Emmett Matthews and basically replacing him with Keon Brooks, Chris. I mean, uh, I've I've heard the word freak, and he was just kind of handcuffed uh, at Kentucky, where they just wanted him to be down low, and they wanted him to be the dunking guy, and they really did not want him taking threes. And when I talked to him about shooting threes, he, he got a little irritated because, uh, you know, I think that's one of the reasons he left Kentucky was because he really wasn't able to show what he could do. Well, yeah, and I mean, when when listening to him talk about what his plans are and what Washington coaches have planned for him, I actually went back to look at his tape from La Lumiere when he played with Isaiah Stewart, because that seemed to be more indicative of the kind of offensive game that we might try to expect from him when he shows up. Because like you said, I mean, he was playing a role at Kentucky, just like other guys were playing a role Um <clears throat> but here he's going to play more of the Terrell, uh, Terrell Brown role in terms of, um, you know, just kind of trying to really ignite the offense and be the guy that puts points on the board, no matter uh, if it's inside the, the three-point line or outside the three-point line. And the irony is, is that, you know, Terrell Brown is, you know, six foot, six one, and Keon Brooks is six, seven, at least. And <clears throat> six, nine. Well, that's what we've been told, but everyone yeah. lists him at six seven, so I'm going to list him at six seven. But the bottom line is, they both have very similar games offensively. They want to do their damage inside the three point line. Um, they will step out if they need to, and they will shoot the three. They're not going to ignore it. They're not going to shy away from it. But they feel a lot more comfortable inside the line, having that mid range game. Um, you know, we didn't see as much posting up from Terrell, but he would at times. But he was not afraid at all inside the paint. Obviously, the same is for Brooks. And they have, they like I said, they, they have a lot of similarities in their game. And Brooks is even a little better free throw shooter, which is going to be important because he's going to get fouled quite a bit or you'd expect him to get fouled quite a bit. One interesting note, too, is, you know, a couple of guys that uh, helped 
with him. Uh, number one, uh, Quade Green was a tremendous help from my understanding and talking to him and, you know, explaining what the coaches, you know, what they told him they would do is what they did. And what's really interesting about that is when uh, Keon Brooks took his visit to Kentucky, his host was Quade Green. So that's kind of interesting. And then also, um, Isaiah Stewart was also a big help in, you know, uh, explaining how things worked here. And, you know, they told uh, Isaiah what how they were going to use him and that's how they used him. So, you know, big kudos to those guys uh, as well in being uh, quite a bit of help on that. So um, just looking at what they needed, what Washington really needed with uh, what they lost from the roster last year. I think it's huge uh, getting him in. He has two years of eligibility left. I think his goal is to be a one and done guy. We'll see if that happens. And, you know, that's one of the things, Chris, you know, people are talking about, is this a sustainable, um, you know, roster development plan and bringing in transfers every year. And I think that you need to look a little bit deeper than just what's gone on the last couple of years, because last year they needed to overhaul the roster. They just needed to flush that entire team, which is pretty much what they did. And they brought in a couple of guys that they knew only had one year of uh, eligibility left. And then again, this year, bringing in more transfers, but all the guys that they brought in have more than one year of eligibility. So when, you know, you talk about knowing the zone and it taking a while, they're building this to be a little bit more sustainable and guys have more than one year of eligibility left. And you hope that the guys further down the roster develop. And if not, you can kind of plug in if Keon uh, Brooks winds up leaving, you can go out and look for another one of those guys. But you're hoping that those guys further down the roster who have multiple years of eligibility left, you're hoping that they do develop. Well, right. And I think that the, to me, when I look at what Mike Hopkins plan for the portal is, I see him, you know, trying to have that balance of a couple one and done super big impact guys like he did last year with Dejon Davis and Troll Brown this year, even though Keon Brooks has two years left, I think you have to treat him as a one and done guy, as you mentioned, for all the obvious reasons. Um, but then you bring in a Kepnang, Braxton Mia, Noah Williams, guys that have multiple years left. You know, those are guys that you can project for the future, just like last year when they brought in a P.J. Fuller. They, You know, before that, they brought in Cole Bajima. You know, you've got to have those guys that can be depth pieces, that can have multiple years of the program, because you're trying to create defensively that thing that will separate you from the rest of the conference, for instance, when you use a Syracuse-type zone, something that can be a difference maker. But when you talk about one and dones, Chris, when you take a look at Washington's one and dones in the past, they've been high school players, you know, and I, I'm thinking if you're going to get a one and done guy, I'd rather have a Keon Brooks who's been playing for a couple of years. And I think that's tends to be more of what you'll see is those type of guys where I think next year, you know, if we're looking at the transfer portal, it may be one guy uh, they bring in unless somebody else leaves. But uh, I really like what they've done. And, you know, just talking to some of the guys, the guy that they really seem excited about, too, is Frank Kepnang. When was the last time they had a guy that big? Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, they, they've had guys in the past that have been similar size. I mean, Brian Penn Johnson, you know, was probably similar similar size. Uh, but now they brought in two guys in the same class with him and Mia are, are, are definitely similar guys. What I would say about Brooks, though, it, it how often do you find a guy – 
who starts 33 games for Kentucky that all of a sudden becomes available in the transfer portal. And yeah. you've got legit multiple legitimate ties to that guy. I mean, that's a situation where you have to go for it, whether he's a one-year guy or a three-year guy, right? I mean, they're just those types of opportunities just don't happen very often. So you've really got to take advantage of them when they do occur. Yeah, just on another note uh, real quick, too, you know, just we get so much information, sometimes we fail to pass it on. But Corin Johnson, uh, you know, there was some question marks with him. He had some work to get done in the classroom and he got it done. So um, he's been admitted to UW and expecting him to show up this week just to you know, quick jaunt down the road. And then July basketball recruiting will really pick up with, um, you know, all the AAU stuff going on at the end of June and July, especially down in Vegas, the peach, the peach jam and all that kind of stuff. So it'll, it'll be interesting to uh, follow that as well, but we want to take a quick break. And when we come back, Scott, you better be ready to go. Cause there's a lot of recruiting stuff coming up. Bring it on. We're going to be covering. So uh, just a quick word from our sponsors, and we'll be back. It's the guys from Dogman.com on Dogman Radio. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back. It's the guys from dogman.com. I'm Ken Grinnells along with Chris Vetter, Scott Eklund. Recruiting is about to heat up with camps, more camps, and then some more camps. But uh, actually, the coaching staff's out of town right now, aren't they, uh, at some of the satellite camps, Scott? Yeah, they're uh, currently in Sacramento right now at uh, the Sac State camp, and uh, they were down in uh, Redlands at the University of Redlands uh, on Monday, I believe. So, yeah. They're they're all out on the road right now, but they'll be back in time for uh, for uh, the weekend when they're going to be hosting um, a bunch of recruits. Um, probably, I would say somewhere in the realm of 200 to 250 uh, recruits. They've got three camps going on on Saturday: the Dirt Dog Camp, which is in the morning. They've got the Specialist Camp, which is right around noon, and then they've got the um, uh, top dog camp, uh, what we used to call the rising stars camp, but it's a top dog camp. And that's, uh, starts at about five, five thirty, and goes all all the way until about eight. So, um, yeah, that's kind of where things are going. And then on Sunday, uh, they have a seven on seven tournament that they'll host. I think it's 25 to 30, um, schools that'll be, um, doing, you know, bringing their skill guys. I, you know, I put that in quotes cause, linemen are obviously skill guys too, but, um, they'll be, they'll have, uh, those guys on campus. Um, you know, some of the past winners have been skyline has been there several times. Eastside Catholic, Kennedy Catholic. Those have all, uh, been winners of the, uh, seven on seven tournament that they have. Um, there's schools from all over. They get California and Arizona schools. I know one Hawaii school that was, that was planning to be up here. So I'm not hundred percent sure on that though, but, uh, just, you know, that's kind of the where things are going this weekend. They've got one official visitor in in Jackson Bowers, a tight end out of Arizona. He'll he's the only one scheduled right now. We're still trying to find out if there's going to be any more that'll be on campus. And then uh, next week is when the uh, official visit. We you, I guess we got to call it a week. 
it's not just a weekend uh, where they're going to have, I, I, by my, my last count, it was 19 guys that are expected in, I'm sorry, seven. Uh, yeah. 19 guys that are expected in uh, this coming weekend. Uh, or I'm sorry, this coming week two on Tuesday will be in two, uh, three on Thursday will be in and then uh, 14 over the weekend. So it's going to be a very busy next 10 to 15 days. Any of those guys really, we need to keep an eye on. Well, one of them's already committed. That's Tybo Rogers. He's the only commit that's expected to come in for as an official visit during this time. Um, Anthony James is a guy that everybody wants to know about. Top guy on Washington's board. He's 6'5", 245-pound edge defensive end prospect out of Texas. Was committed to Texas A&M. Uh, M visited Washington and uh, is scheduled to visit Washington. Took a visit to, I think, think you know what i'm gonna pull it up right now he took a visit to utah last weekend yeah he did take a visit visit to utah about two weeks ago and loved his visit there um washington is the only other official visit he has scheduled and we'll see i mean i i think washington's in there swinging away and doing what they can but uh gonna be tough to pull a four-star kid out of texas who everybody seems to want so that's one name malachi crawford a defensive back out of oxnard uh uh almost six four hundred pounds got that length that you really like out there um elisha jacket an offensive lineman from northern cal or i'm sorry orange california uh that's down in uh down in uh orange county um some other guys landon hatchett's gonna be in town uh that everybody should know that name he's the younger brother of Gearin. alinius davis a defensive lineman, defensive tackle prospect from Minnesota. When was the, I, I mean, I think we looked it up. Well, I can't remember the last time Washington had a kid from Minnesota. Um, Jordan Whitney, he's a linebacker out of uh, Oxnard in California. He's, he's same high school as Malachi Crawford. Those guys could both be, be in. And then you got Luke Backlenko, who's a offensive lineman, 6'6", 300 pounds from Oaks Christian, who, um, you know, has really risen up a lot of recruiting boards. Uh, his mom is the former beach volleyball head coach at the University of Washington. She's now down in California coaching down there. And um, so he grew up here. I think he spent the first 10 years of his life in the uh, in the state of Washington. So a guy to keep an eye on. And then during the week, um, you got Vincent Holmes, top safety prospect that the Huskies have on their board. Top quarterback is Lincoln Kineholt. One of their top quarterbacks is Lincoln Kineholt's out of uh, South Dakota. He's in on Thursday with Vincent Holmes and Micah Banuelos is another one. Uh, that's a big time kid, um, local out of East uh, Kennedy Catholic, six three two eighty five. Um, Washington has a really good shot at reeling in all three of those guys. Give us a rundown on what's going on with the quarterback. You know, uh, one of the guys at Washington had been high on and had offered, seemed to commit to Oregon State earlier this week. Yeah, well, he didn't seem to commit. He actually did commit. So, yeah, he did. Uh, eight, yeah Aiden Childs, he's a quarterback out of Downey High School in uh, California. And um, basically, Washington had three guys on their list that they had left. I'm sure there were other guys that they really liked, but they, they weren't really getting a lot of interest from them. Avery Johnson is probably, I don't want to say he's for sure the, you know, the top guy on their list, but boy, it's hard to, to say that he isn't the top guy on their list. He can do it all. He can run. He can throw. He led his team to the state title game. He, they did not win it, but they, he won, He took his team to the state title game, was the leading rusher on the team with like 1,100 yards rushing, um, can do it all. 6'2", 185, 190 pounds, really loved his visit to the University of Washington, took a visit to Kansas State. So he's out of Kansas, 
took a visit to Kansas State last weekend, um, and then he's visiting Oregon this weekend. Um, and, you know, I know Husky fans hate hearing this, but Oregon is the elephant in the room right now when it comes to recruiting because of what they can offer um, and the way they are able to to really recruit really well. And so um, it's I think this is going to be a Washington-Oregon battle, but we'll, we'll have to see. Um, Kansas State is there, and they're the hometown school. But um, their next guy is Lincoln Kineholtz, and I think he's kind of, you know, if uh, Johnson, Avery Johnson is 1A, then Kineholtz is 1B because he's right there too. He's, he's a guy who can run around, do a lot of different things with his legs, likes to throw it a little bit more than, and, and maybe is a little bit more developed as a passer than Avery Johnson, but not the athlete that Avery Johnson is still a pretty good athlete though. Six, 385 pounds. He's out of Pierre, South Dakota. He's already visited uh, three schools, uh, Wisconsin. He's already visited was back on June 3rd, Wyoming on June 10th. Then he visited, then he's currently at, or I'm sorry, he will be at uh, uh, North Dakota State on the 19th. And then on the 23rd, he'll come up and visit the University of Washington and be there through uh, Saturday. So uh, Washington gets the last shot at him. Ryan Grubb during spring football took a day, the, their one day off of spring ball and uh, took that day to fly out to North Dakota and offered him in person. So that should tell you how much they think of that kid. Ending this a little bit quick. Again, we're having a little bit of te- technical difficulties. We'll make sure and do another podcast early in the week after this weekend and uh, go over kind of what we saw over the weekend. And then again, preview the big recruiting week next week. But uh, you know, when it comes to football, basketball and recruiting, Chris, any final thoughts? No, just that obviously when it comes to camp season, that's obviously where, where the rubber really meets the road. And I think especially for this particular uh, coaching staff, trying to make a huge first impression, you know, try to make a really good first impression, um, especially with a lot of the local recruits if they can. We know about the Loyal to the Soil campaign. You know, this is kind of one of the next steps in that is to really show a lot of the local kids and, and their coaches some love by getting their guys coached up and, and um, showing them some attention, you know, getting them on campus, showing them the facilities, kind of running them through the program while they're getting recruited. That's all a big, big part of it. And so excited to kind of see what these guys have uh, in offer. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll get out there this weekend and we'll see some of the things that they're doing. But obviously, as, as Scott alluded to, with all the numbers coming through at the end of the month, um, could be arguably one of the biggest, if not the biggest, uh, recruiting weeks uh, on offer in a long, long time. So I'm kind of excited to see how that thing unfolds. Hey, Scott, real quick, um, basketball players in town this weekend, football players as well? Uh, yeah, a lot, uh, Jackson Bowers will be in this weekend, and I don't know about any – oh, oh, I'm sorry, you're talking about the 2022 uh, guys. Yeah, yes. um, all of them are expected to arrive in Seattle uh, tomorrow, and then they'll they'll uh, move into their dorms on the on Saturday. So, okay. Just yeah. final thoughts real quick, Scott. Uh, just going to be crazy over the next 10 to 15 days. Just stay tuned here because I'll have it all for you. So will Chris. Basketball guys in this weekend too. And uh, they have informal runs all the time. And I'm going to try to find out at some point next week where they're at and uh, see if I get a, see if I get a glimpse of the new guys, the old guys and uh, anybody else that's out there. So Hey, for all of us at dogman.com, if you're looking for those regular updates as well as uh, breaking news alerts, just shoot us a note, huskystadium at gmail.com. We'll hook you up. 
For all of us at dogman.com, I'm Kim Reynolds along with Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund. Go dogs. 